Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you people, I've been reading, like, people are going crazy about the red cups at Starbucks. And honestly, I really don't care. I'm sitting there thinking, first of all, it's so early for Christmas. I, I mean, honestly, here's what my war for First of all, Christmas, I would like, I don't want to see everything out this early. Like, unless it was like Ernest Borgenine singing Christmas carols. That I would watch for hours because that's entertaining. But the Christmas, the war on Christmas, it's a damn cup. If I want to see a war on Christmas, don't let Linus give his speech in a Charlie Brown Christmas. That's a war on Christmas. Because the cup thing, who cares? I don't even go to Starbucks much. I do go at Christmas because I like the uh, I like the eggnog latte, and I'll admit it. And I get a decaf because of my heart. But the eggnog latte is good. But I'm telling you, it's all it's all crap with the red cups and it's like it's nothing against christmas and, and that's all i'm gonna say and uh, what i'm also gonna say is i always remember my guest is actually he went to high school with me and yep. uh he lived on crescent road and it's uh my oh guest my is uh, lee brownstein hello i actually know that because I, I still have our yearbook from 1982 oh my god it, that's un- crazy it's under all this stuff and i was like where did he live and now did you live near east is that where crescent do you remember no actually that's a wow well i hope she doesn't hear this but my high school girlfriend uh, lived on Crescent Road. Okay. My parents had divorced because you know nobody divorced in in the 1980s. I'm being very facetious. Right. My parents had divorced. My dad was in Pennsylvania. My mother um, uh, had had to move to. Do you remember Clementon? Yeah, they. Yeah. You know, Lindenwald, and then Clementon is right. My, my Philly accent is really showing now. Uh, uh, so we had. She had had to buy a, a condo in a low income area in Clementon and I was commuting to finish high school. Okay. So my girlfriend lived on Crescent Road right across from the high school. So I started, so we listed my address as there so I could finish high school. That's, that's a very long, boring story. No, that's, but that's, that's what happened. We didn't make it, me and my girlfriend. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but no, because Ben Compton lived across from the high school. I don't know if you remember Ben Compton. Very he, well. He lived right kidding? across sure. from the high school. I just saw him in San Francisco a while ago. That's crazy. So God, that, you really have tabs. You're, you're like, it's almost like a hero's superpower. Like, yeah. you know where all the... All the Cherry Hill kids are. You're gathering them from all over the world, I do. I got, like, so that you can put them in some weird facility and test them. Exactly. Is that what you're doing? Exactly. I'm going to sit oh, there and no. find the power of Woodcrest. That's the what it power is. Power of Woodcrest. It has the word wood in it. I know exactly. <laughs> so now, now you, uh, you said you did, you, in, you did theater in high school. Did you always want to get? Because you, you know, you, you've gone into directing and producing and writing. Yeah. And, and now, did you yeah. always? Were you always attracted to the arts? Did it start yes. at a young age? Oh yeah, I've been doing it since I was. Uh, I have to apologize for my voice <clears throat> in advance because I've just found out I have a sinus infection. It's going around. Everyone's. It's, I, I'm, I'm a little nasally it's too. Fuck, it's just insane. So my, I'm listening to my own voice and I sound like, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, I sound like uh, Alec Baldwin. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> good things, good things, good things. Idiot. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, yes, I've been in the arts since I was a kid. I've always had musical ability. Oh, what, did, uh, what did you play? I, I play like 13 different instruments, believe it or not. Not well, but I've always played keys since I was a little kid. I had natural aptitude, had terrible music teachers. Um, so that killed my my interest for learning formal music. I probably would have been pretty good at it. But um, but then in high school, uh, do you remember Stephen Capsuto? Yes, I, I saw him. At, I actually went to the reunion. Stephen uh, Cappy. He... Yeah. he um, we were very good friends as kids, and we were still in touch. I'm in touch with lots of the kids I grew up with on Facebook. Um, so Stephen was always the culture kid, and he was listening uh, to a bunch of theater records. Long story short, he was uh, uh, auditioning for 
the uh, whatever the high school musical was when we were freshmen in high school. And I was like, I didn't even know what that was. So he said, well, I'm going to audition. It's Fiddler on the Roof. And, you know, you should too. You should audition for Tevia. I said, you know, who's Tevia, whatever. So I, I looked at it. I thought it was kind of cute. I said, all right, I'll audition. You know, he's auditioning. I'll audition. So I uh, studied the album and I was a good mimic. So I did sort of a mimic of it and I ended up getting the lead role. So that started my acting in high school. It was purely by accident. I was just sort of into it. I enjoyed it. I love acting. I, uh, I think a lot of people around me, like the other kids, thought that I'd probably go into it. I, I after I, I in uh, senior year, I did dinner theater in Philadelphia and got a real taste of what theater was like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, met a lot of equity actors and you know poor actors and uh, struggling actors. There's a lot of drugs. There's a, a lot of um, uh, uh, depravity. Uh, and I, I. I remember looking at it and I was still very interested in theater, but I just, just it's going to sound so shallow, but I was like, I am not interested in starving. A lot of people have said that. A lot of people I know who've done equity, they've always said, okay, we're going to be actors. And they sit there mm-hmm. after five years and they go, okay, we're moving to LA because TV pays. And that's what happens a lot of times. Now, what was your course of path now, to get into the business? that you? Well, I, you know, the, to turn that frown upside down, to be fair, the decision I made, what I felt was actually kind of lucid for a, what, a 17-year-old. Uh, which was, I, I, if I'm not willing to starve, I don't have enough of the passion and I don't deserve to be an actor because I love actors. But even then I said, you know, I, I don't think I have it. I have talent, but I don't have enough of the drive. And I don't think if you have both of those things, I just don't think you, you're going to be successful. I mean, personally, I just, you have to know yourself, you know, I'm the best, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to get it eventually after 10 billion failed auditions, I'm finally going to get a break and something's going to happen. I wasn't willing to do that. So I said, okay, you're not an actor, but I love the business. I love directing. I love creating shows. I loved writing uh, a musician. I, I, I got um, signed to two labels and I decided, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be known. Do you believe that shit? And you, I, so I, I turned them down. Wait, how, how old were you when you got signed? You got signed to two record labels. I got signed to two different record labels. MCA I got signed to, and I got signed to, I can't remember the other What one kind of was. music were you playing? Uh, terrible versions of Billy Joel 80s shit. And they, but that they, I still have. I should, <laughs> dude. I recorded so much of that shit. You, you got to put that stuff up on Facebook, just because people would love to hear uh, that. I will put some of it up, but it is, it is <laughs> terrible. Uh, with the exception of some of the stuff I did a little bit late. Well, no, it's all bad. But some of it I did with a buddy of mine. I worked at NFL Films with my first big gig. And my buddy, uh, Vinny, uh, Vincent Caputo, uh, we had a band that we would, uh, uh, basically a recording band. Like we were like the Steely Dan of NFL Films. Right. So we would go in there and record our music. And we had the luxury of having the head of the head audio guy. His name is Jerry Mahler. was one of the best mixers there was. I mean, he, he did a lot of the... Uh, Elton John stuff at Caribou Ranch. I mean, he's, he, he was real. So he mixed our shit for us, which was kind of cool. And we had the luxury of having some good musicians play on it with us. Uh, Vince was a drummer. I was a keyboardist and vocalist. So we did Billy Joel-esque, you know, bad 80s. Was that at the NFL uh, Films back in Marlton? The NFL Films in Marlton. Because yeah. I always remember, because yeah. I always loved sports. When I was a little kid, my mom said, when it was, well, not a little kid, but when we were older, it opened. And she goes, you should just get a job there. Like sweeping just, floors yeah. just to learn the business. Yeah. Now, how did you get the job? My mom there? said the same thing to me. 
They probably all Jewish mothers said the same My shit. My mom's to not their Jewish. Kids. I'm not Jewish. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, I know. Cooper. I, I know. Everyone thinks I am. You've got to be a Jew. I think Stop I, lying. Somewhere in the, oh, believe me, I'm in Stop Hollywood. I, I shouldn't be lying. This is her, this hinders my career not being Jewish. So this is this is this thus now explains your rant against the red cups right. at the top of this thing because he's I'm thinking he's going on and on. I'm like, Christmas, who cares? Like, he gives a shit. Unless somebody wants to pay me to do some content for Christmas, I really don't care. I mean, we had a Hanukkah bush when I was a kid. Okay, well, that there you go. That's good. Yeah, well, yeah. it's Cherry Hill. I mean, I used to say you drive through Woodcrest and you would see like no Christmas lights. Like you would sit there, no. one house. Maybe me and Larry Wanger would put some, you know, pine needles in the in the joints we rolled. I mean, that was maybe about it's, it. It's funny. That was Christmas. It's funny you bring up Larry Wanger because he, he asked me to explain that. He said, ask, because I see you're going to be my show. He said, ask Ooh. him what boo-boo means. Ooh. So I want to hear this. He said it's a very funny story. Uh, I don't know if I should tell that whole story. I, I can just tell you it's marijuana related. Um, it had something to do with, um, God, I don't know that I remember probably should get him on the phone and make him explain it nah. because a lot of this shit's fuzzy to me, but it had something to do with, um, I think we had smoked entirely too much and it was one of those moments where anything was funny and, um, oh, I know what it was. What's the, oh shit. I just, wow. Do you hear that sound? I know. I, I, most people don't hit the table. <laughs> That's really cool. That's like being in... Anyway, um, what was that... That li- What's the line from... He says, kind of grabs you by the boo-boo, doesn't it? Okay. It's from a movie. And of course, now I don't remember what movie it's from. But that's what that's where that comes from. Kind of grabs you by the boo-boo, doesn't it? Because we were really, really wasted. And the, the, the weed that we were smoking was strong. And he turned to me after I took... I was, like, I was coughing. I was going crazy. And he goes, kind of grabs you by the boo-boo, doesn't it? <laughs> That's where it comes from. He'll be very happy that I remember that. He properly. will because he said he was. He said you got to yeah. ask him. You got to ask him what it is. Yeah. No, no. That's, NFL... li- that's from what thirty five years ago. See, that's good. Years. You have a good memory. What year What's did, left of it? What year did you start at NFL Films? And did you just start? I mean, where did you start? What position? I know you went to doing editing, and you know you've done everything in your career: editing, producing, directing, right? Yeah, editing. Editing is uh, uh, what I consider the, you know, now being the age that I am, that I'm, I'm really, really glad that I became an editor first. Because it's a skill that I still have um, and only keeps getting better. And I think a lot of the people that, that come in might know how to run the gear, but they're not, uh, uh, they don't have editing talent. That's something that, you know, takes either have it or you don't in some cases. And so you can develop it or you can learn it, but you know, you can't just sit down and because you can run an NLE, you know, a, you know, a nonlinear editor, it uh, doesn't mean that you're a good editor, you know, editing is story and timing and you know, music and uh, uh, all of that uh, visual sense, all that kind of thing. So I started um, as a PA. My first gig was at Center City Video okay. in Philadelphia on Walnut Street. And I, I got a job as a PA after I was doing every odd job I could after coming back from the Navy, which I left. You, you were, okay, so I you, went to the after, Navy when I was 17. After high school, you went yeah. to, okay. Right? And, and, Day I turned 17, I left. Oh, you, did you graduate East? No. Oh, so you, you left. <laughs> I okay. left. And here's the funny thing is Mr. Terranova, remember Len Terranova? Lenny Terranova, yeah. Lenny Terranova was one of the kindest uh, um, adult figures to me, authority figures to me that ever as, as a kid, because I was a terrible kid. I mean, I just, you know, my, my dad and I didn't get along, you know, my dad's across the river trying to pull me out of plays and blah, blah, blah. So everything I did was to try to fuck with him. You know, so I was doing plays and and not going to class, and I'm I'm not, I wasn't a, not a smart kid. It was all rebellious, stupid. You know, looking back on it now, I never would have done it that way. You know, so I wasn't going to class. I'm failing out of high school, and um, uh, after I joined, 
<laughs> translated into a short story, but I joined the Naval Reserves thinking my father would go nuts and say no fucking way, right? right. <laughs> so my dad, yes, your parents have to sign off to, to join at 16. That was the 12th of the late entry program. So I join, I bring it home. My dad goes, sure. And he signs it. <laughs> so now I'm going to the Navy. The day I turned 17, I'm going into the Navy. So, and you can't get out. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, I wanted out. I didn't yeah. want to go. And my dad said, fuck you, you're going. I'm not I'm not helping you out. So uh, I, I had to go. So uh, long story short, I was so pissed and so upset and so scared that um, I didn't go to graduation. I had graduated. I barely made it. But I didn't go to graduation, so I didn't get my diploma. So Terranova kept my diploma in his safe, in his office, for years. And he said, you know, I was just going to give it to you. And I forget how we ran into each other, but he eventually gave it to me, long story short. I was forced to finish high school. I got a state diploma um, by both my mother's Jewish guilt and the Navy. Who said, we'll just put you on the deck of a carrier and, you know, you can do this with planes. I'm, you know, motioning. How, how long were you in the Navy for Six years reserve. Oh, so you were in for a while. Two years active, six years reserve. So you were there for a while, and then, but you still wanted to get back in the, you wanted to get in the entertainment. I always knew I was going to get in the entertainment industry. So, I, I, I always knew that was going to happen. And then when I got back, I was doing telemarketing. I'm selling cars. I'm, you know, I think I got back when I was 18 and a half or something like that. So, uh, um, and I was still in the reserves, still active, but in Philadelphia because I was in flight and my rag squadron, my, my training squadron was in Willow Grove. Okay. Remember NAS Willow Grove? Yeah, well, I mean, way up 611 Broad was, Street. Northeast, or you go to the Northeast Extension. Way up. Yeah. Because yeah, there was, used to be a comedy club. I used to be, that was the oh, Comedy Cabaret so of Willow Grove. And I still remember. That going, is funny. What the hell is Willow Grove? It was one of those clubs that couldn't make it on a weekend. So they had like one show Saturday. Isn't that funny? VP64, VP66. I was an AW, an anti-submarine warfare operator. Do you believe that shit? Eight, 17 and a half, 18 years old. And I've, I'm working with nuclear torpedoes. <laughs> well, no shit. <laughs> None, none of us are cracking 20, even the officer, because I'm enlisted. So my job is to hunt. It's all that hunt for Red October shit. That shit was real. And I was, um, I was good at it too, because I could hear stuff, you know, so you did it acoustically. They would drop a sauna buoy in the water and you'd sit there and you'd listen for whale farts and, you know, and fish and, and then somewhere in there, you're like, Oh, that's a sub. And they'd start listening to it. And there's, there's different reasons why you can figure out how many how, what sub it is. You can actually identify it by the sounds. And then you tell the officer who's called a tactical coordinator. And that guy was barely fucking 20. And that guy had his finger on the nuclear, what we call the pickle. And, and if they wouldn't surface, once we found them, we'd drop a nuclear torpedo on them and blow them up. Of course that never happened because we're all still here. Right. But, um, but that was what the war games were in what? 1982. Yeah. So, so you're going, yeah, you're doing, you have a lot of responsibility at that age. Yeah, but I mean, we but we were we were doing. Here's what our tax dollars did in 1982. We would find them. The Russian sub would surface. The 18 year olds in the Russian sub would get out and moon us, and we would then put a navy box launch in the torpedo tube and eject it onto them, and watch lettuce and fucking, you know, this this is this is our tax dollars. This is this is the height of war. <laughs> we're, we fly over these fuckers and take pictures and they're mooning us and we're dropping Navy box lunches on them until it came back. They, they, uh, became that that was an act of war to drop anything. Okay. So we, so we were disciplined. 
or reprimanded and, and told not to drop Navy box lunches on the enemy anymore. They were like, oh, so we should just drop them on us because it's an act of war right. to eat these Navy box lunches. But okay, whatever you say. So so you're doing that. You get mm-hmm. back and you start being a PA. No, no. Yeah, and, then- I was a, and I considered that to be an amazing job. And I think my... Uh, what a, was minimum wage? Yeah, shit. Yeah, that was my first real job in the entertainment industry, and I think minimum wage was what one ninety okay. an hour. One ninety or two sixteen or something. No, it wasn't over two yet. Okay. When I started, it was one ninety. So and I had a, it was minimum wage. So I was making two times. I was making under twenty dollars a day. Right, right. Two times. Yeah, two. It, it'd be it'd be you'd be making a. Uh, 15, like 15, 20. All right. So about 20, 20, 60, 80. Yeah. I was making about 120 a week, I think was my paycheck. Um, and, um, one of my jobs was to clean the toilets. At and this Center was City in Abyssal. San Diego. Okay. You bet. It was an amazing place. It was run by the guys who, uh, from K- KYW, uh, had started this production facility and the guy who was the GM, of course, now I'm forgetting his name, drove a Mazda RX-7. Which I thought was the coolest car ever. He was making eighty grand a year, and this is 1982 or 1983. No, 1985. I'm sorry, 1985. So he's so to me that's like the epitome. I was like, I want to be that guy, and he was totally cool. And then I met uh, an editor whose name is Pete Moyer, and Pete is uh, now owns an effects company here. He was one of the, is still was one of the top effects editors uh, there is. He worked on Star Trek and you know all the. I'm talking in the 80s and 90s right. you know when when all that magic was done in an online pay all the compositing all that shit pete was like the guy at the post group so pete started at kyw and then he went to this place and i saw peter and i said that's what i want to do so that's why i had to give you that backstory because i watched this guy he was making the money he was driving the plane basically because they, they look like aircraft cockpits okay back then uh, and I said, I want, and, and the guy, the GM guy said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do that. So if you want to do that, you have to start in the tape room and as an, as an assist, I was like, what's a tape room? So anyway, so they, so I did all the odd jobs until somehow I got promoted and they made me an edit assist. So I started as at the very bottom when it was very technical and you had to learn all the, you know, electronics and all the bullshit and all how everything worked and support the editor who was in another room. And they talk to you in a headset. So we fetch shit. So how long were you doing that for? Did that probably for about a year, year and a half, and then I got a job at NFL Films as a junior editor, which is just um, you just do a, a little sort bit of the less same or... thing. You're still doing, uh, you're still running the tape room, but you're also editing. There weren't a lot of people that knew there was. There were three controllers back then that were basically the thing that that. Um, you run all the, the the gear through. So the edit controller, there was CMX, there was um, uh, Grass Valley. There were four. I'm sorry, there was Grass Valley. There was Sony. Um, and what was the other one? Grass Valley. So Grass Valley and CMX were very much the same. There's a reason I'm telling you all this. And then there was uh, uh, whatever the other one was, I said. And then there was Sony. Sony's. Only a few people knew. Nobody knew how to use it. It was, didn't work like any other edit controller work because the ideas are all supposed to be universal so that you could just go, an editor could just go from facility to facility and you just sit down and you could start editing. Didn't work that way. Sony was very specific. And of course, who buys Sony? NFL Films because Sony convinced them to do it. Okay. 
So they have these, these Sony controllers. I knew how to run them. I don't remember why, but I had learned them somewhere. So that was what got me hired at NFL Films is that I understood Sony very well. So, and, and not a lot of people know how to run these things. Now, how long were you working for NFL Films for? Almost a, a little over a year. I want to say it was almost a year or two years. I was really bouncing then because I, someone had told me, forget how it worked, but someone said, oh, you don't stay anywhere very long. You know, if you want jumps in salary, you got to move. I don't know that that's necessarily the smartest thing to do, but um, because they still, people still say that in, you know, advice is, oh, you know, you should, you know, never stay anywhere too long so you can, you know, get some experience and title under your belt and then move up, move up in salary and title and move on. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Never get a pension. Never get it. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't worry about a pension. Don't worry about your 401k. Don't worry about your benefits. Yeah. Good. Excellent point. Do that for, you know, and then you'll make this and that company will close. And then you'll be 50. And then you'll, and you'll realize, yeah. you know, you got a bag for a belly. No, you know, it just, you know, it's the NFL films. Let's put it this way. Great company. I knew Steve Sable very well. A lot of the people that I knew there uh, are still there. I think the only thing that changed that was I think NFL network started. And I think that there was a big shakeup and that affected a lot of uh, uh, my friends, the people that were lifelong NFL films, people um, left at some of the stuff I was reading. And I'm just sort of just getting back into it because NFL you know, NFL Network's right here in Culver right. City, right by where I live. And uh, I have several friends that are very high up there. So um, it's kind of a weird irony. And they have no idea I started at NFL Films. See, that's so, just, just amazing, though. Yeah. That's just cool. So yeah. now, 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 I know you ended up in New York, too. Didn't you work for Brian Williams for a while? Oh, Brian. God, you did some research. No, uh, I worked with NBC for many years. I was, um, NBC and MTV were sort of my two... I'd say my familial roots, you know. I and they, they got you to New York, those two places? or No, no. I was, uh, it was strictly freelance that, that brought me to New York. And uh, I started freelancing for everyone as an editor. Um, at some point, uh, I moved, or I was bi-coastal. And I was, uh, when I was out in LA, uh, I was working for Fox and a couple other places. And I got sourced by uh, Broadway Video. And Broadway Video was, a, was really the top, post-production company in, in New York is owned by uh, Lauren Michaels, right? Okay. So uh, so I was there as a senior editor, um, and from there I moved over to NBC. And then uh, NBC begat uh, working with uh, uh, NBC News on uh, what became Dateline, which was called NBC Now and a bunch of other things. I was pretty close with Jeff Zucker and working closely with him. So as that happened, I went into uh, promo. And that's where I started in you know Net AMP, which is the on your promotions and all that stuff. And I've been in that pretty much ever since. Um, and promo was responsible for putting together MSNBC, that network. So I worked very closely with the small team that, that created and launched MSNBC. So that's where I knew Brian Williams from. And Brian, uh, uh, Brian really was the start of what MSNBC was. I know everybody's hating on him because of what he did and whatever, but Brian is a, a solid newsman and, and, and an even better person. And I think he made a bad choice. And, a, and a, a, I believe it was probably blown more out of proportion than it than it really was. I'm the same but, way. And I, I, in all honesty, I sat there and I thought, you know, okay, he exactly okay well everyone's exaggerating people go, every, well, he's a journalist. jesus if everybody called out for every bit oh, of God. bullshit that yeah. they put out there i mean, I mean everybody would be on you know everybody'd be in the doghouse yeah, it's like right? what louis ck used to do a bit where he said you ever been at a party and a guy starts telling you a story that you told to him one night when he was drunk the fish was this big yeah, and it's just but it's true and the thing with williams is he still it doesn't take away to me his journalism uh, and his integrity because yeah. you know the it guy the guy's been either. kicking ass for a long time and 
he's one of those people that he's was on the news and he's just so damn likable. Yep. Like when he just shows up on Letterman, he's a great. When he did it, was he was. A oh great no, he's guest. even funnier than that. They, he's filtered on Letterman. He's filtered on air. He's filtered obviously, but if you're talking with him he's, privately, he's <laughs> even funnier. He's actually. We. I wish I could find them. I. I think I've since lost them. But um, uh, my buddy Amp and you know the the team that did uh, a promo over at MSNBC because Andy Lack told me said you know you have to take a job over there. You have to stay there for a year. Now that we've, you know, launched this thing together and I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that, but okay. So I went over there and I'm there for, uh, launching Edgewise, which was, uh, RJ Cutler's first television show. Amazing, amazing show. There was really good programming back then. Um, and, uh, uh, Andy was, you know, pretty much overseeing it, but Brian had the news with Brian Williams, which was a very interesting show. And we had the first ever internet correspondent, which he could not get his arms around because the internet back then was, you know, bullshit oh yeah i mean it's still bullshit it's even worse bullshit now now it's you know it's a it's a bullshit that's you know a way of life as opposed to then it was a bullshit novelty like you go to spencer gifts and go i'd like three internets please and you give a couple to your friends that's what the internet was then so we had the first ever internet correspondent who of course was female and and attractive and brian couldn't get past it so he was just so he would talk about it because no one knew what the the promise of the internet was past we're doing a branding play so that microsoft will pay for half of the network that's what that was because it was called msnbc because it's microsoft and nbc as a partnership so that i think they're actually if they're smart anyway they're looking to rebrand it because microsoft hasn't had anything to do with it for years but at the time it did so it was the power of msm uh, the power of nbc news and the promise of the internet what promise of the internet that you're going to have a bunch of you know over surgery you know 18 year olds that are that are constantly taking selfies and posting what bathroom they're in at what club who gives a fuck right you know but that's that's what the internet's become other than the clever people that actually put up interesting content and all my friends babies and all the kitty videos all the what videos kitty videos any kind of cute animal that's all you 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 see my facebook i don't i don't get into political debates and if someone starts a political debate if i make a comment and someone puts up some bullshit i delete the whole fucking thing i don't engage i'm not interested i don't fucking care and if it's not someone who's a friend of mine like because i have thousands of people on my facebook how that happened i'll have no idea but over the years it has so i'm saying there's people i have no idea who the fuck you are that are on my facebook and if they start some shit Boom, gone. Not only deleted, blocked, because I don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. See, I, I, I do a lot of stuff that goes from Twitter to Facebook. There's a lot of just Yeah, I do that stuff. too. I do that too. But then what bothers yeah. me is sometimes is when I sit there and I'll make a comment and then someone will make a comment, which I'm going to ignore, but then one of my other friends will make a comment to that person's comment. Like they're getting an argument. I'm thinking, it turns I'm into thinking, a fucking I'm, I'm going, war. This is my this is my comment that was a joke. So yeah. I end up doing yeah. the same thing. I have to delete. I the whole saw thing. that on one of yours one day, and I, I'm you know silently you're laughing. I won't engage because I don't want to be a part of it. I don't I, have the time. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, nor I, do I, I have the inclination. I don't give a shit. But I see people start doing oh, it, and I'm like God, I'm like like some it. guy I went to college with just started. I'm like. I didn't even know you in college, really. And he's just something, no. And he's like, well, I'll, this, this, this. I'll you got to believe that blah, 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 and the and fuckity, like, blah, blah. And he Who goes, cares? I'll be on your sh-, and he goes, I'll be on your show if this comes out. And I look, I said, I said, first of all, why would you be on my show? <laughs> and why would I want you on my exactly. fucking you, you, show? You live in New Jersey. You're not even, I don't even know what you do. And you have a lot There's of one good thing about New Jersey now, buddy. <laughs> Legal online poker. Okay. Yeah. Now shut up. I want to talk to you. You're, you're a big gambler. 
Uh, I, mean, I wouldn't call myself a big gambler because I don't have any money. <laughs> but no, you, you do a lot of the uh, celebrity poker bets. Which, well, no, I, my I, wife does. I, I wanna, my I wife wanna, is famous. I I go on her coattails. Okay, because Cato Kalen does them a lot. Uh, we know Cato very well. Uh, Cato's yes. been on the show a few times. Kato, he has? Oh, yeah. I oh, ran, that's wild. Cato's I, always trying to get Jen on his show, too. She's just she's busy. I, I ran into him in Kato. the Flappers Comedy Club. And that's he was so he awesome. was like the first big guest I had on here. I was like... When I started the show, I'm like, oh my God, you want to do my show? And he came and he's he's got that goofy sense of humor. You know, oh, Kato's like, awesome. He's I mean, a, you're people, it's another one people give him shit. I'm like, he's okay. The, he's the nicest he's the guy. He's the nicest guy in the world. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's basically his claim to fame yeah. up until people started realizing he's a funny guy. And he's a good host and he's, he's, he's very positive. Great and he's just, host. You know, good looking guy, funny guy. Very nice guy. Quite a good you athlete, know, too. Yep, he's, he's got many like, talents. And of course, he's got to be yeah. known for that asshole that I kills know. his wife. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if anything, you wish that wasn't it, you know, because he's he's just such a such a great guy. Well, now, yeah, now you, you're working. In, I don't know, first of all, because I know you're, you're, you're married and you're, you met yep. your wife out here. Now, now, yep. what made you leave New York? Because you were in New York working for MSNBC. Did you, and I know you said you were bi-coastal for a little bit. But yeah. What made you decide to just say, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to LA. Well, I didn't become permanent in LA until I got married. Okay. Because she lives here and um, I was bi-coastal up until, and actually I was bi-coastal for maybe the first two, three years of our marriage. And then finally just gave up my apartment because they were, it became so problematic. We weren't in New York at all. So it didn't really make sense. I mean, I was, you know, my work was all here now. So. Okay. So you're, so now, now how did you guys meet? Jennifer and I, uh, uh, Jennifer is a well-known actress who, uh, she had, uh, 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 gotten a role on a WB show, which is down the road from you called hype, which was a sketch comedy show. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. And I was uh, really the main special projects producer at the time, which does what special projects is the, the guy, the producer that, um, does everything, but, uh, everyday promos. Basically we launch all the shows we do, um, you know, we do all the content that, that, the cre- that launches surrounding the launch of a show and we do all of the stuff that sort of promotes and, and creates a buzz for a show to <laughs> advertisers so that it will get bought by the network or if the network's already supporting it and they want to see how it's going to do with advertisers, but the show hasn't been made yet, we'll fake it and present it. They're called sizzles or presentations or featurettes or those kinds of things. So I specialized in that. So whatever it is you're going to make for that, you have to actually shoot, which was sort of the beginnings of my directing career, because we would have to you know, get the actors and write content for what the show might or might not be and fake it so that you could see, sorry, so you could see a trailer. So, um, so I did, uh, all of that stuff and hype was one of those shows that it wasn't bought, but they had a cast. And they had a really good cast. So the cast was workshopping at the Comedy Central stage, and I went down there to interview them all and then did a bunch of content to title together. That's where I met Jennifer. And, uh, boy, she's a, she was a cutie well, and that, is a cutie. That's great, though. That's cool because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of times it's weird front of the camera, back of the camera because there's a lot of different – not a lot in common all the time, but well, that's good. That- you know, there was drama because um, uh, we had an instant connection. She was married. She wasn't happy in her marriage. Uh, I didn't know that. No one else really knew that. But um, – we had a lot of chemistry, so everybody thought we were fucking, which we weren't. Um, we never even went out. I mean, because she was married. I was, you know, and I'm, you know, I was raised a little better than that. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, even though she was very interested and I was very interested, I said, "Yeah, get, get, take care of that, and then call me." You know, and of course, we did. We lost touch, which was sad. Um, I went to I moved to San Francisco to run a, a, a entertainment programming in a place called Tech TV, 
And uh, when I came back, uh, we ended up reconnecting, and that's when we got together. Tech TV, I may be, was that guy named Rick Brown who worked for Tech TV? He's- you know, I wouldn't know. Tech TV was 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 a not a great experience for me, to be honest. It was okay. Um, I loved Paul Allen. I loved working, you know, with him, and he was really the reason I went up there because they had some music show, and it uh, somehow found out that I did that type of stuff from MTV and all that kind of thing. So um, I went up there, and I was the head of entertainment programming. It was a very corporate environment with a lot of uh, people that that weren't very well versed in production and branding, and it was a real challenge for me. Um, that combined with me being at a point in my life where I was just a giant asshole. I had just really, I took it way too seriously. And I had that, what I just said, you know, about, you know, if you don't understand production or I don't consider you a TV person, I was done with you. I just didn't, I didn't want to talk to them because it's like talking to an idiot, you know, and they were very much about the money and this, that, and the other thing. And I just, it really was a very bad mix of me at the worst part of my personality and my personal development <laughs> combined with, I wasn't wrong because they were idiots to be fair, but I was an equal idiot in the sense that there was definitely a better way to handle it. And uh, had I handled it better, it probably would have turned out better. But long story short, I stayed there for a year, did lots of great programming. Um, but I had a staff of like 150 people that I was responsible for, you know, but yet not responsible because I couldn't do anything or, you know, bring anybody in or get rid of anybody. It's very frustrating. But at the same time, I traveled around the world. You know, I met some great people that I'm still in touch with, left the rest behind. <laughs> and, um, and it was a very important lesson in, um, how to be, an, uh, uh, how not to be an effective manager and how not to be an effective producer in a corporate environment. So it was a very positive way. I learned a lot from it, and I'm a lot better today for having gone through that. And then you came back to L.A. And I came back to L.A. with my tail between my legs. But but I did get something out of that. I had met these people that wanted to uh, produce a music show that were record people, record company people. The record industry wasn't dead yet. And um, they wanted to produce a live concert show that they were going to syndicate themselves at the Fillmore. And I'm like, yes, sign me up. So uh, I did it for very little money and commuted with a team back and forth from L.A. to San Francisco whenever we would shoot the show. And I'd go up there and I did it for almost nothing. I mean, because I was very, I'm very good at cheap production <laughs> and uh, got to do these great concerts. I mean, like Linkin Park, when they first got together, um, they're, uh, um, oh my God, what's the name of that group? Uh, Coldplay, first okay. U.S. tour. Ever. So you're going up to New York. You're, are you direct? I mean, up to uh, San Fran. Are you directing these things? Yeah. Producing? yeah the live, live concert director have done tons of that and, so and, what, and producing it and what, cutting it. What does a live concert, I mean, because I always, I love music and what does a live con, I mean, you can't really direct. I mean, how do you, what does a live direct, what, what do you do? What was that? Live director is, uh, it's a, it's a very specialized talent. I think, you know, you, you look at guys like Joe DeMeo and, um, you know, these are big MTV ex live director guys live director you can do anything from what you know three camera to you know 35 cameras or 40 cameras whatever you know whatever it takes so you're you're choosing what camera for what shot and that's oh, yeah, you're you're not only choosing it's like think of any live broadcast and what and what you see by the time you see it it's been set but it's being set all along so the live director is telling everyone what what he or she wants you know, before you see it. And it's, it's a, it's like conducting an or, uh, a, you know, an orchestra, right? It's like, what do you, you know, if the flutes are 
you know, off in space doing their own thing and, you know, the woodwinds are doing this and the, you know, all the stringed instruments are doing their own thing. It's going to sound like a giant bowl of shit as opposed to the beautiful <laughs> symphony that you end up hearing. Well, that's what a conductor does. So in live television, the conductor is the director and uh, it's a huge job and it's a huge talent. And I'll tell you what, now you pay, pay closer attention to it and you'll see the really shitty ones because they get work. And I'm the guy who's sitting, you know, use the people who yell at sports on TV. Right. I'm not that guy. I could give a flying fuck. If you're that good, great. Then go put on a jersey and get out there. I'll never understand the people that yell about sports. Unless you're the most unathletic, <laughs> tiny or fat or ridiculously stupid people yelling at the TV. Go play the game then. I'm the guy that's yelling at the director. How, how does this person get work? Because they either they blow the shot, meaning they take a shot that hasn't been set yet, or they're just boring or terrible, and these people get work. But um, I'm that guy. I'm yelling at the TV with so, my wife rolling her eyes. That's, so you've done you've done all production and stuff like that, and you know the the editing and production, and then eventually, just two years ago, or I talk about you did the movie Out West. Out West uh, did with Jennifer. Now, uh, now, yeah. had you always okay because. You've done a lot, as I said, and you've always been one entertainment. Mostly TV. Never done. Uh, I've, I've edited a few features, but um, never uh, created and directed. A feature. Now, before I go into this, what is and how did you get the name for Sizzle Sizzle Steak? Oh my, my little shingle. Uh, because most people, because <laughs> sizzles are the thing I told you, the, the little presentations right. that people use to sell shows. There's a skill and skill set in that too. Um, there's a lot of people that. Well, you can tell if it's not good, you're not going to sell your show. So I think there's a skill set in there. A lot of people are really great at it, but a lot of people aren't. So they look for other people to do sizzles for them. So I'm I pretty much known for that. I do you know sizzles and presentations and uh, network image and that kind of stuff. So um, I decided I was going to just sort of specialize more in that. And um, the thing about sizzles that's usually a failure is there's just no there there. Like you're watching it, right. but you're like, well, where's the show right so where's the steak <laughs> okay no because i, I a little your... while to get there didn't it sizzle I... sizzle steak well, no because I, I, I went to sizzle some steak i went to your twitter and then i uh saw it said sizzle sizzle steak yep and then i went to the website and yep. i have a website up right now but what's funny is i was sitting there going okay wait was it sizzle steak sizzle and i just googled sizzle sizzle steak and it gave me a freaking <laughs> recipe on youtube nice. and i went screw that so i went back to your twitter yeah. and i found that so now I it mean, sounds it, like lee needs to do some seo work but, <laughs> but uh, no it's it's you've done i mean you're very very a lot of uh very good stuff about you oh you mean the work that's like yeah it's, it's basically just a resume page i mean you know the, the i i do uh uh full-scale production but like most independent producers you know you grow and sh shrink and grow you know whatever to you scale to whatever the job is you know you've got this community of folks that I love working with and, and, uh, depending on the size of the job, I'll just, you know, bring all those folks in to, uh, to get that job done. So you're doing the sizzle, you're doing the editing, you're doing this. Yep. How does the movie come up? And cause I know you co-wrote it and, and it's got a really good cast. I mean, no, actually I, I created it. Um, it came up, it was an idea, um, that I, I came up with, uh, while on vacation with Jennifer, it was all about her. Um, and I sort of wrote out the story, um, when I got back. Uh, she thought it was funny and I said, well, you know, let's, let's make a TV show. So I wrote it, uh, as a TV show and I wrote it, uh, the entire thing. Uh, and I, th I don't know, a year, two years goes by or something. And someone, t several people keep telling me it should be a movie. So by that time I said, okay, fine, fuck it. So I wrote it into a feature. Um, it was a reasonable script. I wouldn't say it was a great script. 
Um, we, uh, Jennifer really had, uh, was very close friends with Jim Vallely, who's the co-creator of Arrested Development. I had since become friends with him because we hung out with him so much. So I told Jim about it and he was like, uh, oh, let me see it. So he looks at it. He calls me back and he says, oh, I kind of like it. He said, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to rewrite it for you. That's literally how he said it. I said, well, Jim, that doesn't sound very comedy. He said, well, there's a script somewhere. I said, okay. So he really liked it. He thought it was a good script, but he wanted to, he was being very kind. He said, look, I'm going to do a rewrite for you. So he uh, oversaw his wife, Maggie, and um, a friend of theirs, Anderson, do do the rewrite. So, uh, so they did a rewrite of the script and then uh, went off, we went off to uh, produce it. Um, as an indie, which I, I do not recommend anyone ever do. Why don't you recommend? I mean, what's just because too many obstacles or it's, it's, I'm being facetious again, of course. I mean, there were parts of it that were a great experience, but, um, I get, I think producing an indie is <clears throat> like choosing to be an actor. You know, you gotta, you better be prepared to sacrifice your entire life for it. All of your finances, you know, unless you're rich, you know, or your parents are rich or, you know, somebody's giving you money. Um, it's a very, uh, uh, traumatic experience because you independent means independent you've got no one to tell you what to do and you've got no one to back you up so you better know what the fuck you're doing right when you when you say hey let's go make a movie you know it's great go make a movie you know but make a movie defined as you're going to take your iphone and you know shoot your girlfriend in the bathroom you know put makeup on or you're going to make a movie where you know with hundreds of people and crew and insurance and agents and managers and locations and you know every other so traumatic I, possible how thing did, that could happen. how did you start to do all that i mean because it seems like in your other jobs and <laughs> the editing and stuff like that they say okay he's great at what he does we're going to send you to the full mark he's going to direct it so they're saying okay go here i have they a write you a check and they say here's what we expect to see back right. now but when you're doing the movie how do you start how do you start learning to get locations do you get someone you know to do it because and no it, 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 i did all of it myself i have enough experience in production well you know it's an interesting question the short answer is you think you know what you what you're doing let's let's say you're a reasonable producer you know and you've got tons of experience in tv and branded content and that kind of thing you say how hard can making a movie be really hard really hard like what give me some examples um everything you think you know it's very humbling you know i think the point is it's very humbling you get in there you say this shouldn't be you know really too hard it really is that hard everything is different uh in making a feature you know i I never had the kind of respect for for film people that i do now um you just every obstacle obstacle you can possibly imagine will present itself everything i'm not trying to be negative but it's true no matter if, if an obstacle can present itself, it will. And well, you have to be prepared to get around it. What were some big obstacles you ran into doing this movie? Uh, biggest one, I was planning to do 70 to 80% of the movie on trade out, which means in exchange, you you put a brand in the movie or uh, or write the brand into the movie um, in exchange for, for money, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, or trade out, meaning you're... Uh, you're going to use a location, but you're going to work that location into the film so they get tons of exposure. So for that, they exchange the use of their place uh, without cost for inclusion in your project, right? Or your movie. So I was doing everything that way. Cars, uh, uh, booze, costumes, uh, services, cameras, uh, locations, everything. It was the only way to get that movie done because I did 
what's the three cardinal sins uh, that you don't do in, in a in an independent movie or a movie where you don't have the kind of funding or if you have a brain kids right yeah because you get there and they have to deal with their moms stay the too. hell away from kids no kids kids um stunts right and what's the third animals yes okay so so but you're doing it's it's a western movie kids stunts animals you're an idiot and what did you use all three okay no no how do you okay because i'm in i'm that guy but i'm thinking though it's like when you sit there can't wait for jim valley to hear this one jim did you know that before did you know that those were the three things (laughs) not to do or did you just sit there i knew about kids okay but then why'd you go get kids because we (laughs) because we needed them we need there was creatively there was the there's these scenes that presented themselves this is what i'm telling you it's like you know what do you know what a chia pet is yeah you know, it just starts growing and growing, but you got to keep watering it. And then it kind of looks a little weird. And it, it, it's that kind of, it's just, I don't know. It just starts getting out of control. It's just this stuff that, you know, you, you realize that creatively it's missing some things and, um, you want to add them to make it work. So kids were needed for flashbacks. Kids were needed for, um, uh, yeah, all flashback stuff, you know, uh, well, the, the ranch didn't work because I did this, the ranch didn't work because I did that in the dad scene. And one of them was, he was going to turn it into a camp for, um, hyperactive kids, Jeez. giant failure, you know, <laughs> cut back to the kids just <laughs> running around, ruining everything. And, you know, so that's one of them. Um, stunts is stupid because my wife doesn't ride horses and, um, yeah, you know, stunt people, you have to really trust them and, uh, um, I, 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 we ran into some issues there, uh, and, uh, you know, it's dangerous, you know, it's, it's horses, it's freaking cows and, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I, met, I, met a guy, I met a guy one night, uh, I, I met a guy one time. No, I said, be- I was having a beer and we were talking about, he was a stunt man, but his bread and butter was he had stunt horses that would fall. And he said, everyone always needs a horse that will fall. And he Isn't says, that interesting? his, his, he goes, his horses work more than him. His horses make more money than him. He just said he taught them, and you think about it. You're watching a movie. A horse falls over, or someone gets shot. Just not, just not any horse could do that. I got. You're gonna love this. Yeah. How about? Do you know what a fainting goat is? No, but I want to hear. Okay. So in our movie, the goats faint. This wasn't something I wrote. This is something that uh, uh, Jim and Maggie uh, wrote into this. Is that um, as they're improving the ranch? There's a lot of strong gay characters in our film out west, and and basically what happens is is Prissy, who's played by Jennifer Elise Cox, um, finds that her parents are broke, and they're going to sell the ranch, which also means they're getting rid of her childhood horse Humpy. So she leaves her posh Reno digs that her parents have been paying for, hightails it back to the ranch, and calls on her three gay best friends to help her uh, figure out what they're going to do. So they all they she gets them out there through guilt. They get together and and they decide to turn the reboot the ranch as a, as a dude ranch. So one of the guys is in charge of making the ranch pretty. You know, one of the guys is in charge of getting celebrity guests there. And one of the guys is just sort of, you know, overseeing it all. So um, the guy that's in charge of, uh, um, you know, helping to make it prettier gets all new animals. So one of the things he does is he gets all these goats that he thinks are cute. And um, they're called scare goats. So he says, oh, well, you guys aren't so scary. So he brings it back. It turns out that they're fainting goats. What, what fainting goats are is they have this old myopic chemical disorder that if they get scared they fall over okay they don't actually faint they freeze it's a it's an old weird 
defense mechanism, something strange. So, but anybody, if you flash something colorful at them or you a very loud noise, they'll be running and they literally lock up and just <laughs> fucking flip over and faint. So it was kind of funny. So I don't know how Jim and Maggie must have been stoned, found out about that. So the idea is they get these things and they faint. And uh, their frenemy, whose name is Bonnie, who's who's Prissy's childhood friend who wants to get the ranch from them because uh, she was the dork and she was the princess when they were a kid. So she's got this crazy fucking thing for her. So um, she discovers that they have these fainting goats and she, you know, shoots a gun in the air and they all fall over. And uh, later it has something else that happens that she's just a terrible person. So we need fainting goats. No problem, right? Yeah, good luck with that. So long story short, fainting goats, no no bueno. We could not, and lots of people, to, so like I told you, lots of people say, yeah, they're fainting goats, they're perfect. You know, billions of dollars, here you go. We'll bring them over, they don't faint. I think we went through three, four rounds of fainting goats. Long story short, it was an epic fail. There was never anything I got with the fainting goats that where they fainted. So I had to make them in 3D. I had to 3D, had them 3D animated. Now remember, this is an indie, and I'm out of money, so uh, I'll spare you the details of how I got it done. But, but but through great friends and favors and this, that, and the other thing, I had the the fainting goats made in in 3D animation. No shit. Had to comp them into the film and make it work in such a way that you don't see it enough that you can really tell. They they just they they the action happens and then I cut to the actual you know goats on the ground. So it worked. It didn't work the way I wanted it to, but but we did get it done. But that's just one of, I mean, I have a, a thousand stories of shit like that, including you get to the ranch and, you know, they've canceled on you. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. I, I lost so many locations. Like, the, the, we're getting there. It's locked up. We have the agreement. You know, they're just, no. So what, no. what can you do to protect yourself in something like that? Nothing. I mean, you have an agreement. I mean, nothing. They just say, oh, we, nothing. No. What are you going to do? It's like, it's like, um. I mean, sure, you can stamp your feet, you can wave your document, but if somebody locks their door and says, you know, fuck you, here's my gun, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're done, right? So did you- Unless you're unless you're one of those really stupid people that says, no, go up on the train trestle anyway yeah. and send the crew. Okay. I'm not that guy. Okay, thank yeah, God. Yeah, no. I, I and you know what? No. No, safety first. And, and to Jim's credit and to my credit, thank you, is that we never did anything that wasn't 100% legal. 100% planned um, and 100% vetted uh, and 100% safe. And if it wasn't, money or no money, shut it down. We're done. Have you, you know? have you run into that in projects, some unsafe things? Three yes. Oh, I mean- God, yes. And and it's immediate. The, the, my whole point of saying that is, and I'm, I'm not joking, is that anyone who does anything other than that is a shitbag. I mean, you know, if you, you're going to put people's lives in danger for a fucking shot, what are you, you stupid? Right. It's like, it's just money. At the end of the day, it's not worth endangering people's lives over. It's like, and with the old joke, it's not brain surgery. Right, exactly. It's television <laughs> or it's it's a film. You know, no one's going to die over it unless you're stupid enough to put them in that position where they could die. And you are that person. You're responsible. You know, so you got to get them fed. You got to get them, you know, a place to sleep. You got to make sure they get back and forth to location. I mean, you are responsible. You're an employer in that sense. And that's why there's unions, by the way. I mean, but, you know, but some people just don't care. We'll go steal it. Yeah, I mean, I've stolen shots, but I st- a shot, you know, like where we're, you know, you're at a street corner right. and it's a building that's not cleared or some, <laughs> you know, like that's the extent of which a shot else. No, let's go on a, you know, an active train track and shoot. No, 
Yeah, I don't think so. Now, now, when you got it done, when you got done the film, now you had to go back and now edit. I mean, did, did you shoot a lot of a lot of film? And was oh, it- I over. That's the other thing I learned. I overshot, and on, on I you know, I and you're an editor. Myself, yeah, but I also consider myself a very smart director. I don't overshoot, you know. But I, you know, there's again so many stories and it's too long to tell. But that's why I see why people don't hire first time feature directors. But I'm no longer a first time feature director. I'm a very different person. And um, directing my next feature, I guarantee you, it's going to be very, very different based on the experience and the mistakes that I've made that I will never, ever, ever make again. Now, is that something you want to do? You want to direct more features? Or I will you... be happy to direct a feature, but I will never direct and produce a feature at the same time. Now, there's lots of people that can direct and produce a feature at the same time because they've got shit tons of money. They have a producer credit, but they have producers doing the producing. Right. You follow? So I'm talking about an indie. In an indie, you are everything. I created it. I wrote it. I produced it actively, 100%, without help. Um, I directed it, and then I cut it. So, you know, it's, that's a lot of work and it's too much work for one person and other things suffer that I don't think any one person could do all those things. I don't, you know, whatever the, what's the guy that has his ranch, um, Lucas, no, not him. <laughs> the Lucas ranch. No, from dusk till dawn. That's a, um, oh my God. He's a great, great filmmaker, but he's, he's a triple threat. He's an editor, producer, director. Oh, is it, uh, um, uh Rodriguez? Yes. Thank okay. you. Um, I, I just, even him, he's not producing his stuff a hundred percent. You know, he's got producers that are there doing all of that heavy lifting on a daily basis so he can be creative. Now, would you write your next project or are, are you writing anything I'm right writing, now? Yeah, I'm writing a few things right now, but I don't consider myself, um, a writer per se. I'm a great editor. Like if you give me someone else's script or someone else's idea, I'm great at putting in dialogue, you know, great at editing and that kind of thing. But probably because you, you you envision it with the I editing do. background. It's I not do. like you go, okay, you, you sit there and go, well, it can't be 190 pages when it's about a kid playing softball. Oh, people did work. that to me, though. My my original script was way too long. Um, no, they have to be 90 pages. Now it's 90 pages. Maybe you, 109 if you're lucky, but no. <laughs> would you direct your wife again? Oh, yeah. She's amazing. I mean, she's, is, she's, it, is it hard to direct her because you know no, her so well? and no. just. And she's very talented, so that's, she's amazing. She doesn't need a director. Jennifer needs a director for one thing: to make sure that you're uh, following whatever map she's laid out, um, and uh, making sure that what she's doing looks good, making sure the shots are right. That's a, so I think you know a lot of directors overdirect, some directors underdirect, whatever. But there's some actors that are just everything they do is gold. You know, of course, it's going to sound like it's because she's my wife, but it's not. I've had a talent crush on her before I had. Right. Any other crush on her? I just thought she's she's that girl that shows up an hour early, knows her lines, you know, a hundred percent. But then will give you way better shit than whatever lines you've shoved into her head. She's that one. Okay. You know, she's you know one of the best improv actors in town. And there's a lot of people that would say that. You know, have nothing to do with me. You know, she's been on a guest star on a million shows. You know, she's got a huge fan base. Um, because she's that talented and out West was born out of, I said, well, look, why don't we just make our own vehicle for you so you can carry a film, which she carried, you know, like it was a phone, you know, and you, and you had Ray wise in it. Ray's amazing. He was we one were of the lucky. best characters. <clears throat> Ray is raised another one of those guys who's early knows all his lines cold and will give you even better stuff. 
if you are respectful enough to allow him. Um, yeah, he was, you know, honestly, all of them were great. We, you know, Sean Astin showed up. I think I had two days with Sean Astin through a favor uh, uh, with a mutual friend. Um, and Sean was there for two days. Gold. Every single thing the guy did was gold. And um, uh, Beth Grant, who is a friend of Jennifer's, said yes to the project without seeing the script, just because it was Jennifer. And, uh, and Schmock was on it. Jonathan Schmock is uh, um, Jim Valley's lifelong yeah. friend and comedy partner. He was, he was on my show, and we were talking about when they were the Funny Boys. Oh, that's that was, that the was, Funny Boys. That that's with Jim when Jim was a, a, a stand-up. I still remember. I just they got banned from Tonight Show. That's so funny. Isn't that hilarious? We're running out of time. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you were right. I told you. It went by fast. It's I, like therapy. Exactly. I'm I sorry. We're going to have to wrap it up, Mr. Bronstein. No, now, now, the love for wine. You always have good pictures with wine. Are you like oh, in God. love with a hitching post? Or, or, or I'm just... in love with a hitching post, and we actually uh, uh, know uh, the Ostinis pretty well. Um, and my ex-boss, uh, for my last gig, I worked at Reels. I was... Um, uh, one of the creative leads there. And um, I worked very closely with the COO, his name is Roger, and Stan Hubbard. And I was making wine in New Mexico. That's where this all comes you from. You were making wine. I was making wine at this 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 estate that I was basically house-sitting. So you pay a little bit and you babysit this estate and they had a vineyard. So I started making wine and every day I'd come in and Stan just would break my stones. How's the wine coming? I don't want any of it if you used your feet to crush the grapes. And even now, we're still a Dutch. You know, whatever, whatever I hear from him or I talk to him, he's just like, you're not making any wine, are you? He's like, stick to making TV. Right. You're better at making TV than making wine. So, so yes, I'm a wine drinker, but not a wine maker. But you love the wine. Love it. I'm up in Solvang and Santa Inez all the time, and I am writing uh, a sideways-esque uh, feature right, right. now. And then uh, are you a bourbon drinker too? I think I, I think you. you I am I, a Scotch drinker. You see a lot of booze on my face. That's why. Yeah, I see. I don't yeah. see kitten videos. I don't see any. I just, You'll see a lot of cute animal videos on I, my I, face. I see a lot of booze, and I always go, "That's good. That's good." I mean, so where are some of your good places you like to drink on on, on the west side where you live? On the west side, you know, there's a private club. I don't remember the name of it now, of course, but that's the, something I'm actually we're, we're joining. Um, some of the dive bars, you know, we like there. Um, God, what are the places up in Wilshire? There's, uh, you know, uh, oh my God, is it not Molly Malone's? That's up. That's in Hollywood. That's in Fairfax. So in Fairfax. I don't remember. There's there the the Irish bars is where you'll probably find me. Dive bars. All right, well that's good. And, and on this side, you ever get to the bars on this side? Don Cuco's. All right. I go to the one downtown, but there's also the one in Toluca Lake. But downtown, yep, that's downtown Cuco's where, where I go. Downtown's Pinfield. walking distance for me. So yeah. I go, okay. It's maybe, right near whatever's near the Warner Brothers Ranch. Maybe a great happy hour. Well, the one downtown does. Sardo's. So porn God, star yeah. karaoke. I, I did Come on, man. I did stand up comedy at Sardo's like a year oh, ago. Do you remember Dimples? I used to go to Dimples oh, yeah. all the I time. I, I went like when Dimples. it closed. See, that's Dimples that's, was next. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, man. And now, now you, you tweet. Take a trip down memory what, what, lane. What's your Twitter? At Lee Brownstein. It's very, very hard to find. It's very hard. I, I, I saw you. I, at, I'm going to follow at you. At Lee Brownstein. And at Jen Elise Cox is Jennifer's or JenniferEliseCox.com. And you can find Out West Movie on Facebook. It's Out West Movie. But it's it's hopefully going to be on Netflix this year. Good. So I'll let you know. You know, and you can. I'll promote but, it. But uh, she's going to be on a show called Idiot Sitter, which okay. is Comedy Central. Uh, comes out in January. Stephen Root plays her husband. She plays a trophy wife. Stephen and Root's she amazing. Is the dimmest, That's stupidest funny. trophy. It's awesome, dude. Got to watch it. Comedy Central. I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for and having people, me. Check him out at Lee Bronstein. Also, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. 
actually this tweet. will air tomorrow so you won't hear i always tweet during the republican tweet. uh debate i always oh, tweet stuff i just i wrote you know I, I but i just do it because it's just fun i'm not a political person it's just so God fun to make you. fun of them but so do that also people uh go to my website coopertalk.net i have over 440 episodes up there also itunes or stitcher go to itunes and stitcher you can find me there uh email me cooper coopertalk.net tell me who you wanted to get on the show i'll try sometimes I get some good people. Sometimes I can't get in touch with people, but that's what I do. And also, <laughs> don't forget StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I had my health problem? I had to change my diet, so I went out and wrote the cookbook. Uh, it's 120 low-sodium recipes. Very easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. No major ingredients that you're no, not going to have. No math. Exactly. It's very easy. It's just basic. And go to StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or or. Uh, barnesandnoble.com but i make more money if you get it from stopthesalt.com so go to that so once again check out lee bronstein follow me at cooper talk i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guests don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables <laughs> take your vitamins and i'll talk Ooh. to you guys next week